Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Packs What She Said podcast. I am Perry Goldstein, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Maggie Loney. And today, today, <laughs> we are going to talk about my personal favorite position of all the positions in the NFL, the gritty, the swaggiest, the athletic cornerbacks. But first, we have to give some news. Um, the NFL and the NFLPA have started to finally put together the foundation of what this season is going to look like, what preseason and training camp is going to look like. So we just want to talk a little bit about some of those updates. Um, and so, Maggie, what are some of the decisions that have been made in the last kind of 24 hours? Yeah, so we know originally the rookies were supposed to start a week early. Um, their training camp was supposed to kick off on July 21st, and obviously that got pushed back a couple days Um, So they are reporting, they'll be reporting today. Um, And some of the decisions are still kind of in the works as what the NFL is doing. But uh, Albert Breer and a bunch of other uh, reporters have tweeted out kind of what the structure might look like. And one of the things that we talked about a little bit on Twitter already is the decision or at least the expectation that rosters will go from 90 to 80 players. And, you know, we both, I think, are feeling similarly that this is unfortunate for the players that are on the cusp and this would maybe be their one shot would be to make a difference in training camp. And if they don't even get to participate in a training camp, what does that look like for their NFL opportunity? So that's a big decision. Um, There was an agreement that the NFL will not have any preseason games this season. They had gone from four to two to zero now. So officially no preseason games. Um, And then there's just kind of a rough timeline that they're working with um, in order for the games to start on time on September 13th. Um, They're looking at an acclimation period of strength and conditioning in the beginning of August. Mid-August is when they'll be able to practice with helmets and shells. And then late August, early September, they'll have eight padded practices prior to week one. So the eight padded practices to me make some sense, kind of feels like the preseason, although you don't have an actual opponent. Um, And then kickoff theoretically would be September 13th. So a lot to happen in the next 50 or less days. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. They've clearly covered a lot of ground in the last sort of 24 hours since the exact meeting happened, which I'm very pleased to see. It also shows you just like how easily they could have done this months or weeks ago. Um, but here we are, as Andrew Brandt says, deadlines for action. Um, <laughs> I feel like that quote has been thrown around a lot in the last couple of days. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think my biggest question here as it pertains to the roster as what is really the difference in having 90 versus 80 people there? Um, If you're thinking about it in terms of the spread and COVID and keeping players safe, are those the loss of those 10 players really going to keep the rest of the roster and your stars healthier um, than if there were 90? To me, the answer feels a little bit like no, but I do understand potentially where the NFL is coming from and attempting to make, you know, locker rooms have less people in them, et cetera. Um, But yeah, I feel for those 10 guys, um, really tough, tough season to be either a rookie or, or on the fringe of a roster. Yeah. And I think we'll get kind of a really good sense over the next couple of weeks. Um, I know that the rookies are reporting, but 
you know, we have baseball officially starting and the NBA is officially starting again. So kind of how that goes. Uh, I know the NBA players are in a bubble, but considering like everything that's going on uh, with Major League Baseball, what that kind of looks like as uh, that gets rolling again, teams are playing each other if they're able to keep everything contained. And the NFL uh, Players Association and the NFL they do have their infectious disease emergency response plans. Um, you're able to follow that. Um, they've been marking down which teams are um, approved right now, their plans. So at the time of recording, uh, all 32 plans have been received by the NFL, and eight of them were approved. Uh, the Packers, unfortunately, are still in the review stage. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, there's 24 plans left to go until we kind of get a bigger sense of what, what that really means for the entire NFL. And does that have to be approved before rookies report to camp? That I don't know. know. Yeah. I don't know that part. It's interesting to me, like, imagine imagining rookies and everyone starting to filter in. And then, I mean, the hope is that it's approved, right? But imagine it's not. <laughs> and then players are in the building already. And it's like, what do you do then? Um, For the NFC North, only the Lions have been approved. So still so waiting on the Bears, the Vikings, and uh, the Packers, but... The Lions finally come in first in something. Um, okay. So any other like really pressing needs? I mean, have they decided anything about opting out of the season? What happens if we lose games? What contracts look like? I haven't seen anything like that yet. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is still up in the air and I understand, you know, the players had that social media movement a couple of days ago that was the, we want to play, uh, but we need to do it safely and effectively. Uh, Russell Wilson had said, you know, my wife is pregnant. Um, there's a lot of things that these players need to consider, whether they have pre-existing conditions or someone in their family does, or they have newborns, um, just kind of how they stay safe when, you know, we've talked about this since the pandemic started. You have 53-man rosters, potentially 63 this season with the practice squad. Um, that's 126 players, and then you have the coaching staffs and the referees. And if they're filming, obviously there's a camera crew. So you're still looking at gatherings of, like, 200 people to make a game happen, even without fans in the stands. And the Packers now have said that they're going to try and have 10 to 12,000 people in the stands if they have fans, if they have fans socially distanced. So kind of what that looks like, but I do, I know you've never been to Lambo, but there is something I go back and forth about this thinking that like the first time you go, you feel like you're there with 80,000 of your best friends. And like the atmosphere is really electric, whether you're there for uh, the season opener, like a noon game or a night game, it's always just fun to be a part of that environment. So there was a part of me that was really fascinated by what the environment would be like if there's only 10,000 people and the Roy Butler had a really cute tweet about how Packer fans have big hearts. So it'll feel like it's full. Um, but <laughs> I mean, from your perspective, as somebody who's never been to Lambo, would you take the opportunity to go see it in like a unique environment or you'd wait until it was quote unquote normal? No, I'd wait. I mean, as disappointed as I am, I mean, now they announced today that you have to wear masks no matter what, which is to, totally to be expected. It just, I'd rather wait till we're back in a place that it feels like the original atmosphere. Um, but again, who knows when that's going to happen? Who knows if that will ever happen? Um, I think life might be a little bit different after this pandemic lessens. So, um, but no, I, I, I will happily, very happily mm -hmm. continue to watch from my couch this season. Yeah, no, I'm with you, but I know that you have been very patiently waiting this is episode 23 of the podcast uh, recorded on July or coming out on July 23rd. It's the Jair episode. We're going to talk. It's not just the Jair. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's the 23, but mm-hmm. Harry, I can just take the entire floor for it's this. It's the just, 23, 23, 23. Yeah. It's like we planned it. We didn't though. So that's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think, okay, so we're going to talk cornerbacks. Obviously the cornerback room is to me really interesting, especially going into camp. Um, it's a super, super young group. Um, pretty much all of them are on rookie deals at the moment. Um, Kevin King being the oldest player um, going into his last season. So just a little overview of the cornerbacks um, in 2019. Um, Green Bay was sixth in the league um, in quarterback passer ratings allowed against other teams. They allowed an average of 82.9 against opposing quarterbacks, which is honestly elite. That's it is. It's it's fantastic. Um, they Jair and Kevin combined with 32 pass breakups on the season between the two of them. Um, so they are listed actually as fourth and fifth in the league, only trailing Logan Ryan, Stefan Gilmore, and Carlton Davis in PBUs. So they are also the only duo. So they're the Green Bay is the only team that has two cornerbacks in that top ten. Um, which is again just a stat that really jumped out as to me as a big deal, especially as someone who really thinks that they're just really great tandem together. Um, of course, no surprise here. Um, we struggled the most defending the pass in the middle of the field. Um, that was the one thing that jumped out at me. Um, really shut down uh, the sidelines, but but should look to really improve our coverage um, along the middle of the field. And so we're going into the season. Now we haven't signed Tremont Williams back. Um, much to my dismay. Um, we are, so our room is looking locked up. Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, Chandon Sullivan, and Kadar Holman. Um, we signed a few uh, undrafted free agents that maybe Maggie and I can get into a little bit more, but those are really, I think the top five, if you want to look at it, corners um, in our room at the moment. So based on what you saw Maggie last season uh, from the cornerback, sort of anything jump out at you about what they did well last season or what you think we need to improve on now? Yeah, so I started rewatching the 2019 season just, you know, in preparation for 2020, uh, kind of seeing what we can expect out of LaFleur's second season, uh, Mike Patton with another year. Um, so one of the things is just, you know, Kevin King and, and Jair gave up quite a few interceptions. Um, like they, they had them, um, even the first game against the Bears, Kevin King had a ball hit his stomach and he just couldn't, couldn't hang on. So the potential is there for so many more picks you know, and it seems like, you know, you said their pass breakup numbers, they're fantastic, but if they can like wrap up a couple of those, those numbers are going to go up quite a bit. And I think just watching the tandem together in general, like you really do appreciate Kevin King, who he is as a player. And it gets harder to think about replacing that kind of production because we've said this on the show before that, you know, the Packers have, you know, kind of gone hit or miss with this corner room the last couple seasons, you know, Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins were both drafted in the same year, both off the team. Uh, I don't even know if Quentin Rollins is in the NFL anymore. You know, Demarius Randall has kind of moved around quite a bit after being traded to Cleveland. Uh, So just so many pieces, uh, Ladarius Gunter in the NFC championship game, 2016. Uh, So now that they finally, (laughs) now that they finally have some consistent play here, you know, unless a guy like Kadar Holman, who does have a lot of potential in Chandon Sullivan, 
um, has looked really good in, in the nickel. But, you know, unless you see one of those guys take a huge leap or unless there's a Jeffrey Akuda that you can kind of steal in the 2021 draft, it's just really hard to picture moving on from somebody who finally brought some stability to the position, assuming that they're healthy. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the interceptions because they actually were listed in the, I think it was top three at the end of the season of dropped interceptions. So passes that should have been intercepted, but ended up being pass breakups. And again, like it's a, it feels interesting to me. That's like what we're picking at. Like, Oh, you just had a pass breakup and not an interception. It's like, okay, well you still didn't allow a completion, but again, I agree. I think um, even with Kevin's, five interceptions on the season, which led the team. Um, and I believe that was actually tied for fourth in the league, five interceptions. Um, it's pretty clear that Jair not only needs to grab a few more, he had two last season, um, but he's hungry for it. Cause he knows that's what's going to lead him to sort of be that elite shutdown corner that we believe that he can be. So I think you brought up a good point with Kevin. He's coming up on a on a contract year. So let's lo- let's look at him in the 2019 season. He played 15 games, 14 starts, which was by far the most. He's had a lot of injuries his first two seasons with the Packers. So this was really his first complete season. Um, he had 66 total tackles, a sack, five interceptions, like I said, 15 passes defended, um, a forced fumble, and um, QBs had an 84.6 rating when targeting him. Um, he played about 805 snaps. So that's about 77% of the time he was on the field. Um, and just really, I think became a very solid cover defender for the Packers this season. Um, I know his numbers really jump out to me. Um, I think Packers fans like to blame him a little bit for some of the blown plays that seem to be, or maybe are his fault. Um, but at the same time, like that's a very solid stat line. Um, and he can be, as we've seen a real game changing player. It can be an interception. Actually, I'm thinking of two Kirk cousins interceptions right now, (laughs) one in the end zone, um, that really sealed the game in week two, another later in the season. That was just honestly a bad, throw that he capitalized on so he he's really he's closed out games for us um I think in a way like you said that we've we've struggled before in in finding consistent play from cornerbacks so I'd love to keep him um I think it's a matter of what he looks like this season um if he can improve upon these numbers or or stay in this realm and then how much he's going to demand in the open market yeah it's hard too because if he has you know an identical season to 2019 that's still a really impressive solid season but does he price himself out of green bay at that point you know they do they want to keep him because he's been so reliable if he exceeds 2019 does he you know do even more to price himself out does green bay then decide you know with jair i mean we talk about the youth of kenny clark and what that means going into his second contract but Jair's only 23, so and Darnell Savage is 22, so this is a really young, developing group, and if you mm-hmm. can keep the key pieces of your defense together long-term, um, that says a lot. You have Amos, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, a lot of these guys locked up for the next three seasons, and if you bring uh, Kevin King back into that with Kenny Clark, then... You, I mean, it says a lot about like the consistency since we're always looking 
um, for consistency on offense, keeping that defense together, I think would go a long way. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think we touch on this all the time is the revolving door of cornerbacks. Like, do you really want to start that sort of wheel again when we have someone who is super solid? Um, I think, and I've said this before, I think Jair and Kevin bring a very complementary skill set towards each other. Jair's the very gritty, sort of fast, super athletic, aggressive, kind of drape himself all over huge player. And Kevin is a much better cover defender. He's really long. He's really tall. He can like jump up and grab, um, grab the ball. He's got really long arms. So I just think, I think the two of them together in another full season where they're both healthy, which is the first time we saw that last season, um, they're, they're really making a name for themselves as a top duo. Um, and they're not the only, you know, they've, they've garnered a, a good amount of attention in that way as well. Um, I think in this off season, I've seen them on a number of lists of top tandems in the NFL. And so um, do we want to let that go and start that search again? Um, personally, no. But like you said, does he price himself out? Maybe. Yeah. And I think one of the things um, with Kevin King that size shouldn't matter like to a full extent, but we've talked about guys that maybe were too small to play in a traditional Dom Capers defense, what the Packers normally looked for. Um, And then now you have Mike Patton and they draft Jair and there's like a little bit of a size. um, He's a little bit undersized. Maybe some people thought that the Packers would avoid him in 2018 because of his height. Um, But King's got that really nice body type that you look for as a boundary corner. And the fact that they have him and he's making plays and just pulling up the, uh, the height chart, Mark Antoine DeCroix is the only other, uh, he's an undrafted rookie who's six, three, but everybody else is about six, one, six feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, he brings something different to the defense. And as a starter, you know, that production, whether they're able to replace it with somebody in house or through the draft, it's just, he was a very unique selection and Washington has done a lot um, of really good development of their their secondary in recent seasons. So there's just a lot to really like about his game. And I think that it's getting harder, you know, the more we watch to think about starting from scratch at the position. Because, yeah, you have Jamin Sullivan as nickel. You have guys like Josh Jackson that you hope can develop and Kadar Holman. But there's still different body types. And there's a chance where you get three or four of those guys on the field at the same time, maybe in dime, however you want to play it. But King has solidified his spot as a starter and trying to replace that 77% of snaps uh, production, which, of course, will go up if he gets to play um, a full season. Just it's, it's hard to think about. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to his, his buddy, his counterpart, uh, arguably one of my favorite players on the team. Um, I'm going to try to reel in my excitement because like you talk about AJ Dillon as your first draft crush that came to green Bay. Jair is mine. Um, I remember sitting in my room when I lived in DC and pretty much jumping up and down when they drafted. I was like having heart palpitations when they traded back. I was texting my dad, like, what are they doing? Just take a player. There's so many players on the board. And then they got Jair and, um, pretty much he's been, a bona fide starter since day one, um, which again for cornerbacks, 
you know, you a little bit expect that when you take them in the first round, but at the same time, you never know how that jump from college to the NFL is going to affect them and how they're going to play, especially coming from Louisville, which is, you know, it's not an SEC team. It's, it's not Clemson. It's not Alabama. So, um, he has, I think to me matched his, his draft potential and the ceiling is still so much higher. So let's talk about Jair in 2019. He played and started in all 16 games. So first time that's happened, or he didn't do that in 2018. Um, He had two interceptions, one in Dallas, one in Chicago. Um, 17 passes defended, which, like I said earlier, is tied for fourth in the league. Um, A forced fumble and a fumble recovery, both against Noah Fant in the Broncos game. (laughs) RIP to him that game. Um, He had 58 tackles, two for a loss, one of which is one of my absolute favorite plays against Kansas City, where he just was like a brick wall behind the line of scrimmage. Um, He allowed an 85.8 rating when he was targeted. Again, super top coverage grade, um, allowed a 53.6% completion rate, and then played 99% of defensive snaps. That is 1,027 plays. Um, He lined up both on the inside and the outside. Um, He's just a super disruptive um, and has become a real foundational piece of our passing defense. And one of my I, he's becoming, I think, one of Green Bay's biggest supporters is Doug Farrer of the Touchdown Wire <laughs> ranked Alexander um, among his top 11 cornerbacks um, in zone coverage at number six. And so an interesting stat to me in that in that piece was Jair only allowed 23 catches while in zone coverage all of 2019. So when you think about Jair, to me, I think about a guy who's super sticky, super great man press coverage. And then you look at that number and you think that he also plays at an extremely elite level in zone coverage. Like that is your shutdown corner. That is your future Richard Sherman, Stefan Gilmore can do it all. Right. And so um, I think this shows, like I said earlier, that his ceiling, no matter the scheme is still really high. It's a lot of numbers. <laughs> Did I gush enough? <laughs> I know. I just, you know, I was like, just let her do it. Just let her. <laughs> um, I think one of, to me, one of the most impressive things about him, he's only played two seasons in the league, but there's evidence of dramatic improvement and he was good his rookie season. So, you know, the rookie season, he has 11 passes defense. His second season, he has 17 passes defense. His rookie season, he has a 64.8% completion percentage. And then you mentioned in 2019, he has the 53.6% completion percentage. So everything is getting better and he's doing everything that you would expect him to do. And I mean, even his rookie season, uh, Bill Belichick was giving him a bunch of praise and saying that he's going to be a player to keep an eye on. And he's going to be that kind of player if he's not already that opposing offenses have to game plan around. Uh, because of the skill set that he has, he can play in the nickel. He can play uh, in the slot. He can play on the boundary. He can play wherever you ask him to. Like you said, you kind of think of him as that sticky man corner, but he also is very good in zone. Um, so just the ceiling, I think he hasn't reached his potential quite yet. Um, and I, we've talked about this on other shows, but I would definitely think that his interception number also goes up in 2020. Yeah, for sure. He, and he knows it too. He felt, he felt some of those drops. And I think, I mean, I think he just really excels when you let him trail the team's best wide receiver. Um, He's the guy who, you know, 
he was a nuisance against both Thielen and Diggs in both Vikings games. Um, he absolutely shut down Emmanuel Sanders when he was with the Broncos and when he was with the 49ers. So it didn't matter what scheme Emmanuel Sanders was in. And so I think like, he's, he is the guy, like you said, that opposing offenses have to plan around and they are not going to, they know what they can't do against Jair. Um, and that is the, you know, the, player that you build your secondary around and he is still so young and he's only ascending um I mean some of my favorite things about him is that I think from his rookie season to this past season he's learning how to use his speed and his aggression in in a in the right way I think his rookie season that excitement he's a super super aggressive player right really um confident in himself and I think at times it got the better of him and he he's learning now to control that speed and strength um and he always finishes plays. Something that I think the Packers over the last few years have really struggled with is tackling, just finishing the play, right? Getting there, wrapping him, tackling. And Jair's really, really good at that. And it's just like a really underrated skill. He finishes a play and he's super ball hawk. And you wouldn't think that looking at his interception numbers, but he's always looking for that ball. You see it with the pass breakups, either he's knocking it away or he's punching it out. Um, so it's, it's that level of completion that I think will ultimately lead those interception numbers to be higher. But at the same time, like he's stopping the offense from moving the ball. Yeah. Something else that I wanted to mention too, was just the supporting cast. You know, we joked about kind of the revolving door in the secondary, but in 2018, the Packers got, um, you know, they were kind of up in the air with what their safety room looked like, um, even though they had Jair and Kevin King was playing injured for some of the time. Um, so then you have 2019 where you have Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. And all of a sudden, when you are a corner like Jair having to play zone, you trust the guys in the middle of the field. If you're in cover two, you're like, okay, I can pass this receiver yep. off. Whereas before, and no disrespect to Ha Ha or Kentrell Bryce, but you have a different caliber of player there where it's like, okay, everyone would be like, wow, Kevin King really botched the coverage. No, he was passing off the guy who was supposed to, and yeah. he was kind of let down by that safety unit. So I think this is the first time we're getting to see genuinely who Kevin King and Jair are because of the elevated play that they now have in the safety room. You stole the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no, it's it's a really big deal because I think the corners typically get blamed for plays like that. But if the safety can't close in on the guy that's being passed off to them fast enough, then you think that the corner just got burned when it really wasn't their assignment to finish off. And I think the trust in Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, that's another thing we, we keep talking about this, is that those four on the field together are getting the job done. And so, and, and I think a little bit too, like Petten talked a lot about really focusing on limiting the big explosive plays from the other team and having a secondary, like the one that we have, we have the ability to do that. And again, maybe that means the run game faltered a little bit, but our secondary can shut down quarterbacks and that's in the passing game. And, and we see that in the quarterback ratings against us. Um, and it's just like you said, it's because the trust in the backfield that your safeties are going to come and, and, and do their jobs. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about uh, the front seven and, you know, how Mike Patton can utilize those guys when you have Zadarius and Preston and Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark, and they're bringing pressure from all these different angles. 
Um, but it goes both ways. You know, you either get the coverage sack because you have a guy like Jair draped over uh, his man and then the read is gone, or you just have this defense creating enough pressure with the front seven that it makes an interception um, a little bit easier for, you know, Kevin King or whoever's in the backfield. So this defense, I'm just really excited to see them take another jump because I think we saw a lot of potential in 2019 and it still feels like that team is ascending. Um, yeah. So, you know, we had such really impressive numbers. Um, Zadarius and Preston both had their career years. Kenny Clark still put up insane numbers. I mean, I really hope he gets paid soon. Um, but now going into this contract year, we still know that there's more to come from Kevin and Jair. And I think that that says a lot about what this defense can do again, taking another leap. Yeah. And I'm really excited too. I'm glad you brought up the front seven. I mean, we saw how much pressure we can get on the quarterback um, and that can really influence, um, you know, what happens in the secondary as well. Obviously everything goes hand in hand. And so if we can, force the quarterback to panic or run out of the pocket. And then we can capitalize in the secondary by taking away the possibility of having a deep ball. Like we're shortening the field for the team and only allowing them to get small chunk plays or, you know, three, four yards at a time. And that is the kind um, of defense that's going to you know get three and outs and, and, and stop the other team from, from yardage. And I think one thing that we should improve upon a little bit is we did let teams get a lot of yards last season. Um, but at the same time, we always came up, came up with those clutch plays that ended a drive before the team was able to score. Um, and so maybe that's something that we can find a little bit more balance on next season. But I want I wanted to, before we move on to some of the other guys, cause there's this whole depth in the secondary now that that's a little bit unsure. Um, but just something Matt LaFleur said earlier this off season is, is that, Jair has been a player who's been excelling in virtual meetings, um, despite, you know, obviously that we've had a shortened and not in-person offseason. And so I just, I, I think the expectations are really high. I'm really looking forward to how he does with Jerry Gray. Yeah. So Jerry Gray, you know, compared Jair's physicality to all pro, all pro players that he's coached in the past, um, including, uh, pro bowler D'Angelo Hall was in one of the names that he used. So there's high expectations and there's a lot of praise for what he does, not just on the field, but what he does in meeting rooms as well, which I think goes a really long way towards a player becoming a leader in a room that a little bit needs one now that Tremont is gone. Um, this is not necessarily related to the cornerbacks, but we did have some uh, news come out during the middle of recording. We can talk about it if you want, Okay. Uh, but the Vikings are finalizing a contract extension with Mike Zimmer. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, so that feels pretty weird to me. And I kind of thought he was on the hot seat, but like to an extent, um, but I know that he had that running joke with Aaron Rodgers about how uh, one of them is going to have to get out of the division. And clearly now it's not going to be Mike Zimmer, Zimmer. So I don't know. Is he just waiting it, waiting it out? He is. Cause he's like, it'll be Jordan love in four years. And I can just, <laughs> I can stay with the Vikings and finally not have to deal with Aaron Rodgers. Or Jordan love is going to be just as good. And Mike Zimmer just screwed himself for the next like decade. I think he screwed um, himself by staying with the Vikings anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We'll just go to and zero against them and he'll be salty and not shake Matt LaFleur's hand again. Well said. All right. So you want to talk about some of the guys behind Jair and Kevin? Cause this is definitely something that I think we're going to have our eye on in camp once camp starts. Right. So I think the depth here that we're really looking at is 
Chandon Sullivan, which we can definitely dive into him a little bit more because he's definitely the only one of the three I've listed that has actual like playing time on the field that we can dissect. Um, so we got Chandon Sullivan, Josh Jackson, and Kadar Holman. Kadar being the one that was drafted last season. Um, and then Josh Jackson was the second round with right after Jair. Um, also remember being very excited about that one. Ha ha to me. Um, so interesting leaps that could potentially come from all three of them. Um, I think to me, Chan Sullivan seems like the clear favorite to have the most playing time. Um, but what do you think about each of these guys? Yeah. So Josh Jackson has always been like a really interesting player to me. It felt like initially after he got drafted, there were more Jackson jerseys uh, sold than Jair jerseys. And I know that Packer fans kind of felt like it was a steal to get Jair at 18 and then get Josh Jackson all the way in the second, because so many people had thought that Josh Jackson initially was going to be the pick in the first round. So the fact that they got both, there was a lot to like there. I know some people, you know, kind of felt like it was deja vu um, to the Randall Rollins double up. But then at the same time, you know, you looked at the production that Josh Jackson had at Iowa and it just made a lot of sense. And we've talked about what Jair's numbers look like in zone. Josh Jackson played primarily zone in college. And I think that that was kind of a detriment to him going to green Bay, knowing that Mike Patton did play a lot of man, but if, you know, there is any type of shift in the defense, or maybe if they try Josh Jackson somewhere else, like in the slot, Mm -hmm. um, it could be a rejuvenation for him because in college, we know that he was always able to find the ball. Like he was always around the ball. I think he had six interceptions his senior season. So just, you know, there was a lot of real promise there. Um, and I, I know that his injury kind of set him back and then he kind of fell down the depth chart. So assuming he's able to go into training camp healthy, I think he's got just as good a shot as anybody else to kind of get things rolling. Yeah. Something that Petten has said before is interesting to me as it doesn't really apply to Josh Jackson is that how he tries to fit players best, look at what their best skills are, right. And fit them in the scheme that will capitalize on those skills. And yet it doesn't seem like he's done that with Josh Jackson at all. And I think you and I've talked about this a good amount where when you have a starting three of Tremont, Jair, and Kevin, how much playing time does that actually allow for the depth guys? Not right. a lot, right? Especially because last season, all three of them were super healthy. But at the same time is this is a second round pick and he wasn't even in games in the fourth quarter when we were winning. So, you know, what is it that we're missing that's not fitting or why is it that that chemistry maybe between Jackson's skills and Petten's scheme just isn't working and can they figure figure out a way to sort of marry the two this season because otherwise all he is is just a glorified special teamer right and I mean I think you know there is a way to I think what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to figure out who can have that potentially like the most like the Tremont Williams role Mm -hmm. and you know this is kind of going off topic a little bit but with Tremont Williams, we've talked about Clay Matthews quite a bit. We've talked about uh, Mike Daniels and Snacks Harrison, where you just have so many veterans that are kind of waiting in the wings to see what would happen with COVID, where a guy like Tremont Williams probably doesn't need to come to training camp. He probably doesn't need a lot of practice. So if you have something happen to one of your starters um, with 
this pandemic and these COVID concerns, is it possible that we're going to see guys like Clay Matthews signed in week four because they're just ready to roll at any point? So if something were to happen where you have, you know, a guy like Jair and you're, you're not fully confident that Josh Jackson can step in for those three weeks that that player is quarantined, mm-hmm. what does the veteran market look like? Is it suddenly a much hotter commodity or do you turn to guys like Stanford Samuels and, Mm-hmm. you know, Mark Antoine Decroix or the, the really bottom half of your depth chart to kind of fill in for those pieces. And I think, you know, if you're a Packer fan that survived 2016, you say, absolutely, you go get the proven commodity instead of <laughs> expecting players to win uh, the big games for you and keep you in contention. But I think the pandemic does kind of throw a wrench into the development of players and what kind of opportunities they will get. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a tough one. And it's, I think it's obviously a question that we can pose and, and won't have an answer to we're not inside the building, but, um, and that's the reason too, that it's, it's a little unfortunate how truncated the preseason is and that we don't get any preseason games either because those snaps can be really important to guys like that uh, to see how they've trained and learned and grown in the off season um, and how maybe that can translate in after week one starts. And so you ask an interesting question. I think personally the, the guy, and this feels a little bit like a unanimous answer, the guy that's going to step into that increased snap role with Tremont Gunn is going to be Chandon Sullivan. Um, just given, I'll give kind of what his, his 2019 looked like. Obviously we got him, he was cut by the Eagles. So last season was his first season with the Packers. Um, he played all 16 games. Um, he may not necessarily have been on defense in all 16 games, but he was there um, as a special teamer as well. Um, so he had an interception uh, again in the game against Dallas. Um, he had a forced fumble in our a game against Chicago, 30 tackles, six passes defended. Um, Dallas was actually the game where he was on the field for the first time in any sort of um, significant defensive snaps. So he played 52% of that game. So that was like the first time we really saw um, like a good tape on on what he could do um interestingly enough he was targeted 31 times allowing only 11 catches for a catch percentage of 35.5 which again is limited number but a really good percentage um he played about 350 snaps last season which is like 34 percent um that was for defense and then for special teams it was about 198 which is 46 percent um i thought another thing that was really interesting about him was he only had five games where he played more than 50% of defensive snaps. And it was Dallas, Kansas city, chargers, Washington, and Chicago, the later Chicago game. So they definitely utilized him in some capacity. I think he ranged from about 25 to like 65% of defensive snaps. Again, probably in a dime package or nickel package um, when we needed multiple DBs on the field, but he's got, I think the goods here to only increase these numbers. Um, So for the amount of defensive snaps that he played only 350 to have a stat line like that is pretty promising in in my mind. And um, I know not just the room, but the coaches are all really um, pretty hype about what he can do. And I think the biggest thing, and we're going back to this fit with Petten is he seems to really, really fit what Petten wants to do. And unfortunately, for maybe a guy like Josh Jackson, that's just what it comes down to scheme fit. Yeah. I think that that's a big part of it. And it's not really, um, you know, denying the talent of some of these guys, but there are players that just don't necessarily fit 
Um, and it's, it's not really any fault of their own either. It's just, you know, your team takes you expecting you to do something and then either the coordinator or somebody else, you know, wants to try something else and then it just doesn't work out. But I do like that you mentioned Jerry Gray and what he kind of brings to this room, um, because I think that that could be the opportunity that some of these guys need um, just to kind of see if they can latch on in a different role. And, you know, knowing that that nickel spot is kind of, uh, up for grabs right now. So a lot of these different guys are going to get looks there. Um, and it could kind of be a rotation just depending on what personnel packages the offense is in on the field. So um, I would expect all of them to have an increased snap count uh, to some extent, but um, it's yeah, just... And- Yeah. And Jerry Gray has said he actually does want to rotate his players in that nickel spot to begin with, just to see who fits best there. Um, apparently all of them have expressed interest in that, which I don't know if he he just said that to say that or if that's like meaningful in any way. But to me, that stuck out because um, I don't know if if many secondaries have that many players who feel they're versatile enough to to rotate in in that slot um, position. Um, So I think the fact that at least our quarterbacks are confident enough to feel that they can step into that role and produce um, says a lot to me. Um, Not that I ever doubted the confidence level of, of some of our cornerbacks, but um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, what he does and what he brings. I'm really, really excited for his expertise and experience to be sort of translated into this room. A lot of really young guys who are still ready to be molded. um, And he's, he's super proven. It's one of, I think the best sort of coaching additions that we've had in a long long time okay so outside of the starting five because I know we're running a little bit long which we expected to do uh, for the cornerbacks episode um, I want you to give one player outside of the five that you think maybe either has the best shot or the player that you're most excited to hear about since we're not going to get to see them um, in the preseason um, I've got two that that come to mind. Um, That's cheating, but I'll allow it. Okay, Stanford <laughs> Stanford Samuel was someone that I actually was like looking at in the draft, and so when we got him as an undrafted free agent, I felt like that was a little bit of a steal. I was pretty surprised that he wasn't drafted. Um, no idea why he dropped out of that um, in a draft that felt like after the top cornerbacks, there was a really big drop off, to be honest, yeah. and like from elite to sort of developmental. Um, but I think he has a really good chance just with his experience to, to step in and have some level of a role. I'm also super excited about Mark Antoine DeCroix. Um, just his body type, his physicality. He ran a four or five, I think, um, 40 times. So I think his athleticism will translate well into what the Packers typically like to do. So those are my two. Okay. Well, I'm glad you didn't take mine. I thought we might double up. Um, so it's always fun and we don't because we always do. Um, but mine is actually KB and I wrote about him for Cheesehead about a month ago, just as a sleeper player to watch. The Packers have historically had some pretty good luck converting wide receivers to corners. You know, they did it with Sam Shields. Um, they tried it a couple of years ago with Herb Waters, and he actually had a little bit of success there, but he was never just able to stay healthy and latch onto the roster. And, you know, you see lockdown corners like Richard Sherman, who had that wide receiver experience in college and then transitioned to the defensive side of the ball. So anytime you have a corner that naturally has really gifted hands because of that wide receiver experience, I think there's just an added mentality there where they they know the exact ways routes will be run. They know getting on the same page with the quarterback. Uh, they kind of know how to position themselves off the line. So 
I think that he has an outside shot, but given kind of that transition that he made with the Packers, he's somebody I'm really excited to hear more about going into this season. Yeah, and Petten loves dime, right? So we have a lot of room to keep cornerbacks because there's actually a very good shot that they'll be all used on the field. And so I think that bodes well for guys like the undrafted free agents, KB Nento, Stanford Samuel, et cetera. So before we wrap up, any final thoughts on the cornerbacks? No, I mean, I think my biggest thought here is just that it's really interesting to go um, from a couple seasons ago, a position that we thought um, was one of the weaker positions on the team to potentially being one of the deepest. And um, whatever happens with Kevin King, I think that the depth will likely still be there. Um, but I would hope that in order to you know kind of keep that consistency, he does stick around. Although it feels, you know, I go back and forth. There's days I think that he's a, a lock to come back on a contract. And there's days I think that he's for sure out of here. So I don't really know. We will see. <laughs> yeah. I just think, I think it's a, it's a testament to Goot a little bit what he's done in his last few years as GM. He's completely turned this room around like yeah. completely to the point where I cannot honestly, since our Super Bowl winning team where we had, that incredible back <laughs> uh, secondary. Um, I, I haven't had this much confidence, you know, when our defense and our secondary is on the field that we're going to, you know, shut opposing offenses down. So obviously I'm super hyped for my man Jair to have his official breakout nasty season. Um, <laughs> I am fully, fully, and no jokes aside, like fully confident that he's going to merge after the 2020 season as one of the top five cornerbacks in the NFL. He is all of the tools to do it and he has the confidence in himself to achieve that and I think at the end of the day you have to have that confidence in yourself as a corner going up against the likes of Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and you know top receivers in the league you have to believe in yourself and he does so Jair we're rooting for you over here at Pax which he said man we really are. Jair, so, he loves you so much. We also so. are only a day apart, so we're kind of birthday twins. Um, so with that, um, Maggie, where can everyone find your work? All right, there's new work that people yeah. can find now. So you can find me on Cheesehead TV still writing two articles a week. My Twitter handle is Maggie J. Loney. Um, and I also podcast with the Pack-A-Day podcast crew. And now uh, that the cat is out of the bag and the cat just also left my office, um, <laughs> we can talk about the new website that we've launched with a bunch of our friends um, in the Packersphere, Game on Wisconsin. You can find me and Perry, if you if you don't already get enough of us once a week on Pax What She Said, you can find us Monday evenings uh, on the live show. Come chat with us on YouTube once a week uh, doing happy hour. Yeah, it's super fun. Come ask us questions. We basically just spend an hour answering questions and talking about the Packers while drinking, drinking beer. Yep. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a dream Monday night. we do all the time. Yeah. Anyway, so. we do it here. You just can't see us. Um, so I am Perry Goldstein. You can follow me at Perry underscore Goldstein. Again, please follow the podcast at PWSS Podcast. I also podcast about once a month-ish with Pack-A-Day. Um, I will be back with them soon with Mike and Tyler. Um, and follow Game On Wisconsin. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Tons more content coming from Maggie and I and the rest of the crew soon. So with that, I'll leave us with Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. And Jones out in front. You're trying to 
chase him down.